So before I begin, I just wanted to re remind everybody that today we're going to um, pray over our pledges for the upcoming year. So if you haven't done that yet, there's still time. It's in the back. Um, you can pick up a pledge card and then just drop it in the offertory plates when they come around. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So in our gospel lesson this morning, Jesus describes uh, with somewhat confusing and strange language the signs that will precede the coming of the Son of Man. So this passage comes from what's referred to as the Olivet Discourse in Luke chapter 21. And the context here, I think, is very important for its interpretation. So we read from the beginning of chapter 21, or we read from the beginning of chapter 21. Then as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, Jesus said, these things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. And so they asked Jesus, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? So I think that the interpretive lens for this passage is Jesus' prediction of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem which ended up taking place about 40 years, roughly after he spoke these words, when the Romans came, besieged the city, and destroyed the temple. So I maintain that our gospel reading then should be interpreted not primarily as the coming of the Son of Man at the end of time, but rather as the image of the coming of the Son of Man in judgment on Israel, for she missed her hour of visitation and neglected her Messiah. We see throughout the history of Israel that the temple played a very key role in God's judgment. Indeed, much of what we read during Advent has to do with the destruction of the temple, first at the hands of the Babylonians in 586 AD, and then, as just mentioned, it's the temple that triggers Jesus' Olivet Discourse. So the point with this Olivet Discourse and the destruction of the temple is this, that in the same way that God came in judgment through the hands of the Babylonians and destroyed the temple in 586 BC, God is coming again in judgment through the hands of the Romans to destroy the temple in 70 AD. So even though this particular passage refers primarily to what took place in the first century, it nonetheless emphasizes the biblical image and the reality of God's judgment which will take place on the last day. And this is the theme for the second Sunday in Advent. For as much as it might be an unpopular idea, the Bible teaches very clearly that there will be a reckoning. God will come. He will separate the faithful from the unfaithful. And he will punish evil. We in our culture and even within the church continue to be uncomfortable with this sort of idea of judgment. But you simply cannot read the Bible without being confronted with it at basically every turn. It, is, it so permeates the biblical worldview. And even though in many ways we dislike the idea, I really don't see anything wrong with it. My opinion, which you all have heard me say before, is that we all know intuitively that there is no goodness in allowing evil to go unpunished. Even for someone who is not a Christian, if someone transgresses the moral good, they believe that punishment is in order. 
So my question then simply is, why is it such a stretch to say that we believe that the God of the universe will not ignore evil? He will not allow injustice to go unpunished. It's that simple. Far from being something that Christians should be ashamed of, I take great comfort in knowing that God is returning and he will right all that has been done wrong. Perhaps it's because as Christians we often place ourselves in the place of judge and we decide how God is going to judge somebody else. Now that criticism I certainly do understand. We must all remember that each one of us individually will have to give an account to God on Judgment Day for all that we have done. So personally, I don't waste my time trying to decide or figure out how God is going to judge somebody else. I have bigger fish to fry. So returning then to our passage, for those of us who now read the New Testament today, this text, even though it speaks about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, still gives us an image of what it will look like when Jesus returns at the end of time to judge the world. And this is the liturgical function of this passage, as we read it on the second Sunday of Advent, again the theme of which is judgment. It's intended to, in a somewhat shocking way, remind us of what God's judgment looks like. It reminds us that God is returning to judge. And then again, the Advent exhortation is that we need to then get prepared for that. Israel is set forward as a remarkably sad example in this regard. She missed her hour of visitation, she refused to repent, and thus she became a very painful example of the cost of what it looks like to turn away from God. As we reflect on Israel, we need to see this as a sober warning, because the judgment that God passed on Israel both in 586 A.D., or B.C. and 70 A.D. is simply a small foretaste of the judgment that will come on the whole world. So as we reflect on Israel and on Jesus' words, we must take very seriously this call to be prepared. Again, this is why we read this passage during Advent, as we relive the story of Christ's Advent while simultaneously waiting for his second Advent. It's for this reason that Advent is penitential. It's not because there's some virtue in being dark and gloomy and pretending to be overly serious. The penitential nature of Advent, I think, is very natural, very organic, in the sense that it's foolish to think that we can look for Jesus' second coming without thinking about how we're going to prepare for his second coming. Jesus speaks a lot about this. We saw this as well in the first Sunday of Advent. And it all, in essence, I think, falls under the general heading of repentance. Now, there is some nuance to what repentance means, but I think sometimes we overcomplicate it to our own peril. Simply put, repentance is doing what God has called you to do and avoiding what God has called you to avoid. This is how Jesus says we get ready for the judgment to come. Jesus will also, in this very discourse in Luke 21, give some very specific exhortations as to what it looks like to be prepared for this judgment to come. So this comes right after what we read this morning in verses 34 through 36. He says, Take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, 
drunkenness, and the cares of this life, and that that day come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So here, Jesus lists three things in particular with regards to preparation. The first, he says, is to avoid carousing. Some translations have this as avoiding dissipation. The idea here is, um, we could say it's squandering, squandering life. We could call it wasteful living. Essentially, not making the most of the time, not making the most of what God has given us. So the call here is to live intentionally, living intentionally in light of the reality of God's kingdom and in light of the reality of God's return. The second thing that Jesus mentions here is to avoid drunkenness. Now, drunkenness in the New Testament is both specific and symbolic. That is, we're to avoid specifically getting drunk. But drunkenness is also symbolic in the New Testament. It symbolizes choosing the path of the pursuit of pleasure over then the sacrifice, the sacrifices required in order to follow Jesus. So it's not that alcohol in itself is sinful. The Psalms even say that God has given wine, wine has given us wine to gladden the heart of man. It's good to enjoy the things that God has intended for us to enjoy. It's wrong to abuse these things and to give ourselves over to them. So then the third thing that Jesus says is the cares of this life. The sense here is that of being weighed down by anxiety for everything that is happening in the world. Jesus often commands us not to worry, but rather to have our confidence in him. And Jesus will speak about these anxieties in the parable of the sower as thorns, which significantly the thorns actually hinder then the production of fruit in our lives. Now, I'm someone who does not believe that we can just magically or through some force of the will stop our anxiety or stop our negative thoughts. And I think it's safe to say that Jesus knows this. Rather, he invites us to invite him into the experience of our anxiety and learn what it means over time, because it does take time. It's a slow process. But learn what it means over time to cast it onto him, to let go, to recognize that we have no control over it, but God is in control of it. So as we close here, I'll say that this call to preparation is so important that Jesus gives a very clear warning on what will happen if we neglect it. He says that if you choose not to pay attention to it, to this call to prepare, then the day will come on you unexpectedly like a trap. So this idea here is that you are just going about your daily life and then you all of a sudden fall into a pit. That's kind of the experience that Jesus warns if we are not prepared. So the message of Advent, the message of our gospel reading today is to then not delay in our preparation. Don't delay in attending to what you know you need to attend to, but rather attend to it today. Praying always that you may be counted worthy to escape these things that will come to pass 
and to stand before the Son of Man. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.